Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. And welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Mark Griffith filling in for the very verbal Kevin Ray who cannot be here today, but we will continue on with him. And on my right, my friend, my colleague, co-host for the guest period today, Richard Swan. I am always on the right. You're always on the right. You know what? Never on the wrong. I think I've heard that before, too. I think you told me that several times. But uh, thank you, Richard, for helping me out always. My pleasure. I enjoy being here, and I'm so excited about our guest today. So I, I will let too. you introduce him. And we Well, will... let me tell you first how you can plug in with us, thehousinghour.com. That's where the treasure trove of information of all of our past um, interviews that we have for the last eight years is right there. So it's easy to search. Any topic you could want, just put it in the field and, and test it out. Also, you can follow us on the social media platform because we're all over the place there because we have an incredible team that's behind us doing that um, on a daily basis. That's the ha- at Facebook slash The Housing Hour, at Twitter at The Housing Hour. So plug in with the social media, figure us out, send us a comment, talk to us, whatever you want, we'll get to you as far as content because that's what we do here. We try to supply content. And Richard, you have actually brought to us today really interesting content. I agree. And he's someone that I have known for over 20 years and have have always enjoyed talking with Kyle. I've enjoyed uh, you know listening to him. He's had a fascinating career um, and never really knew that he was always interested in writing and that's something that i find fascinating and and uh and i'm not a big reader but i loved reading his book and couldn't put it down well we're two peas in the same pod because i love history i love writing about history stuff and what he did is he took it one step further and created a story behind some of the history so uh with us in studio today um is jay kyle johnson he is an author He's a local born, well, not necessarily born. He was born in Pineville, Kentucky, but raised in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and that's where my branch office is. So, uh, Kyle Johnson, thank you very much for coming in. Well, Mark, Richard, thank both of you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. And uh, more importantly, thanks for reading the book. Oh, it was a great book. It was a, it was actually a joy to read. I appreciate you getting a copy of that. I'm I'm waiting for the sequel. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next. Got I've to got some questions. I want to, you know, move on to the next book. So, well, let me let me just kind of set it up because this is a historical fiction. It's really a whodunit mm-hmm. uh, in the old style, uh, set in the 30s, cold country up in Pineville, Kentucky. Right. So, um, you know, so it was very interesting. So obviously it looks when you read it, you've done a little research on the history around this uh, this era. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the personal research and also uh, Internet research and that sort of thing. I had to validate what I thought was true because most of this I heard growing up about these people, uh, the kinds of things they did, what they were involved in, what happened to what actually happened to my relatives. Uh, for example, the uh, fire damp was the impetus for the whole book, for the whole story. Uh, it turned out I couldn't write a whole book about just a methane explosion in a, in a coal mine because I didn't know enough about it, neither did I have anybody still living who could give me all the background. So I had a lot of, uh, a, a lot of information that I thought was true, but I couldn't be sure. 
so if frame frame the the fire damp this this cold kind of give us right. an overview of the story just right. quickly well what what actually did happen in history and that i used in the book uh, pretty deliberately is that uh, my great-grandfather, excuse me, my grandfather, Lee Avery Johnson, was literally killed with uh, 14 other men uh, on the day that I was born later, <laughs> or, you know, 22 years later. He was uh, killed March 29th, 1930, in a methane gas explosion in a mine in Kettle Island. So sort of the uh, spindle on the wheel uh, for that story really happened. And my relatives were involved, and some of my other relatives uh, were killed in that same uh, mine explosion, like uh, uh, just lastly. <clears throat> so I took it from there and expanded it out to what if it did happen, and what if there was uh, something odd that turned up uh, from the methane gas, gas explosion, other than just uh, the very sorry story of people being killed in it. And I decided to uh, have one of the... Uh, Miners not belong there. He suddenly was dead outside the mine. Now what do you do? And uh, so then I decided to have a, a green behind the ears uh, deputy sheriff have to take over and do this uh, investigation. And the more he investigated, the more confused he was because he was he, what he's twenty years old trying to figure these out because the sheriff's laid up with a gunshot that happened just the night before, which was not uncommon by the way in Kentucky, especially in that area. <laughs> <laughs> When, and he is a little more um, competent deputy sheriff than maybe people are familiar with Barney Fife. Uh, yeah. So we don't want to draw yeah. that analogy. No, he is a more no. competent deputy sheriff. But yeah. I, I, and I don't want to do any any spoilers of of the the book. And I'm trying very hard not to do that. But I love a lot of the twists that the book t- took. And you know, I know you personally, and. You know, I've read other books. I, I used to read a lot of Dick Francis books, and I always loved those because right. they dealt with horses. But this story just kept me enthralled, and it kept me asking questions like, well, you know, where did she come from, or where is this going next? And, you know, and and then some of the descriptions of things about the coal mining process, about, you know, how an explosion could occur. and And when an explosion like that hit, it could very easily wipe out several generations of a family yeah. in one incident. That's exactly right. And because, I mean, it's like, you know, any area where you have a, you know, a an event that happens in, the, in a small area, whether it's a natural disaster or anything, it's going to affect large groups of the population and generations of families exactly a lot of the miners were related to one another if not by marriage by blood and uh, that's what they did for a living and they go down in the mines in the morning and they would all come out at, at the end of the day hopefully uh, but when you had a disaster you normally had cousins and uncles and all sorts of other people involved one of the sad things about it is normally the, these guys were pretty young uh, you know most of them were probably anywhere from 17 to 24 uh, especially the ones working extra shifts like uh, uh, like Lee Avery was working on Saturday. He was just trying to make more script for his family because yeah. uh, they didn't pay him in cash and didn't pay him with a check. You got script and you spent that at the company store. Right, right. And and that's the that's the, the, the kind of the interesting thing because the, the coal, coal industry, they owned that whole region. If they were opened up the mines, then they controlled everything, every aspect about your life. Exactly. Exactly. Now, did, is that what you grew up in? 
Well, I came along, you know, in the 50s and 60s is when I spent when most it was of the, tailing when out. it was tailing out, and they really were, were even closing out some of the deep mines, and they were doing shale uh, excavations and uh, strip mining even uh, in the 70s. So uh, it, it really changed the nature of how people lived up there. If you talk to my mother, who's still living, she's 87, you just get a real rich wealth of information about uh, how they how they were very clannish, and they liked it that way. Not to exclude people, but because you knew everyone, you could trust everyone, uh, everybody was involved in the same church, school, uh, occupation type thing, and uh, so it, it was a good place to live, in other words. They had, they had good facilities and good schools and so forth. Did you, you know, some of this, when you, you look at the history of some of the coal mining, yeah. um, at a certain point, there seemed to be skepticism of the people that lived there to the coal mining uh, industry, um, the companies specifically, right. about whether they were following protocol, uh, safety procedures. And it seems like there's been a lot of resentment. So I, I've watched a lot of the documentaries on in Kentucky and West Virginia, especially. Yeah, Harlan being one of the worst examples of that. Yeah, probably bloody, so. Bloody Harlan. Right, the Cold Wars. Right. Yeah. So, how does how does a community? Why does a commu- community continue down that path? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think uh, primarily this is just based on my experience with my grandfather, great grandfather, and and many others. They didn't see a lot of options. They didn't see a way out. And uh, in fact, in fact, most of the way out uh, had to do with going into uh, the service. Uh, mm-hmm. And so World War II was the big boon uh, that got a lot of those guys out of the haulers, out of the coal mines, and uh, out into the car industries and out into the military, and they never came back. Wow. That's amazing. Because they, they saw and found a different life. Right. And uh, and that was just fascinating. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. We've got Jay Kyle Johnson, who goes by Kyle, and uh, he's written a book called Fire Damp, The Murder at Kettle Island. We'll be back after these messages. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. So if you want me off your back, well, come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And we're back with the Housing Hour. This is Mark Griffith, filling in for Kevin Ray, who can't be here. But I've got Richard Swan on my right, and he's always right. Exactly. I, mean, I like the way you said that. I, I now you finally have gotten with the program. I like that. <laughs> and in the front of this, the superstar of the day in our <laughs> studio is Kyle Johnson, who wrote a book. It's a it's a historical fiction piece, but it's he's usually he's wrapped around history of this uh, period of time in Pineville, Kentucky, and up in the Kentucky area to tell the story called Fire Damp, and. Uh, 
explain what fire damp is. Ah, yeah. yeah. Well, fire damp is a is a mining term, and it really just uh, applies to a methane gas explosion. So if you get down in a deep mine, which is all they had then, drill down a mile, two miles, five miles, and there will be pockets of gas uh, among the coal seams. And if you if you strike that with uh, you know a miner's light or uh, any kind of open flame, it's going to go up. And uh, it's it's a flash fire is what it really is. Uh, pretty horrific uh, when you get into the details of what happens to the people in that situation. The best thing you can say about it is it's over in a second for for everybody. And it, mostly they just don't have any air to breathe now. It's, well, not, the, it's not the fire that kills them. It's it's it's, fisky, it's fisky. Can I say that word? Yeah, you can. Okay. <laughs> for for any of us that have lit a gas grill on our back porch, oh, yeah, yes, and the gas first starts and you're trying to get the flame closer and closer to the gas so it'll actually light, you see that flash. Yeah. Well, imagine that in a clo- in enclosed space. Right. The one, it's going to take all the air that's there, right. so that's one of the main you know problems. But then it also is going to, however much gas you you find down there it's going to explode but but most of these issues in these coal mines uh is the ventilation and are is there proper ventilation are there proper damping of areas that you can seal off and close off i would assume that that's gotten better over the years yeah in fact if uh if you go on amazon and look up fire damp to find my book you would also find about a list of 20 scholarly journals and other books about damping and fire damping and uh, the whole business of that and about how it has improved and what they do and this is the real technology and engineering behind it and so i was kind of surprised when i put the book out there thinking well there might be one or two other titles <laughs> like that <And> about 50 <laughs> wow yeah that's, i noticed that too when i was there and and by the way let me just say that you can find this book you're going to go to the housinghour.com and we'll have all the links to Amazon and, and everything. And also, we've got a few free books to give away. So if you hear my voice and you want one of these free autographed books, Kyle sat here with us. We witnessed the signature. Um, contact us. Uh, the contact information will be on the page at thehousinghour.com. So you got to go there to figure out how to get this book, and I will make sure. Like the page, and when you like the page, then we'll do a drawing of all the people that have liked the page, and that'll be who we'll pick for the winner of the book. We'll, we'll do that, but I've got a worldwide people that like these pages. Well, <laughs> so, so maybe. Last time it, I checked, in, UPS uh, went pretty much worldwide. But. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll get you this book out there. But, right. um, you know, part of this, uh, you know, the whole process of, of, of safety, because I, I was I watched a documentary on a coal mine. It was a, it was a stone mine or hard, hard. I can't remember what, how they described it, but it doesn't burn. No. But it did burn. The timbers inside caught fire because they sealed some of the sections with foam. The foam caught fire. This happened in the 70s up in West Virginia. Right. I mean, so, and it, and the stories of it, and it was the asphyxiation that occurred to these men from the poisonous gases that came up. They could not get out. Yeah. Uh, that's the life that they led every day. Yeah. I, I got bound up in, in reading stories about mining accidents and incidents, real ones and uh, accounts of those in the newspapers and so forth. And, uh, I'd get lost in those for days, just yeah. just uh, amazed at uh, survival, amazed at uh, the horrific uh, uh, things that happened around that, how many times the pumps went out, uh, all the uh, charges of malfeasance that, that uh, were associated with that, where the coal mining companies weren't really doing uh, due diligence and that sort of thing. So it, it's, a, it's a fascinating world of its own. 
You know, so what led you to write this fiction? Right. Uh, I started out many years ago, even college days, thinking, well, I really would like to, now that I know this story about my grandfather and great-grandfather and others who were involved in mining and mining accidents and so forth, and I know that my grandfather was killed on the same day that I was born, March 29, it, it stuck in my uh, existence <laughs> for years. And I kept going back and trying to write something about it. I would talk to my grandfather before he passed away. And I just kept expanding on this mining accident. But in the end, that's all I could do. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a large story to tell. And I started thinking about, uh, you know, what would happen in the community uh, once an accident like this occurred. And then I expanded from there. And uh, I also ha- had uh, people I know who have characteristics similar to the characters in the book. I want to emphasize none of them are exactly those characters. I I don't need them coming down here looking for me. The writer curse is that phone call. There's our disclaimer for the day. None of the characters in the book are actual people. Uh, Yeah, I I got into big trouble. I think I told you earlier, I got into big trouble with my mother, who's 87, and uh, her sister, who's 80. And I uh, named one of the characters after an aunt of mine, uh, and uh, I made the mistake of letting them read the draft. And and uh, next thing I know, I'm on the phone trying to explain why I named this person. Uh, who and she not, never smoked a cigarette in her yeah, life. She never did anything wrong ever. <laughs> and, and how could I possibly do that? She's not that way. And I, you know, finally had to give in. It was that it, it, that much pressure. So uh, then I just expanded it to people I knew, incidents that I think would follow around a mining accident. I added in a couple of. Uh, uh, red herrings, uh, like getting the sheriff shot, so the so the new deputy sheriff, who's only like twenty years old, would have to go in and and try to solve all this on his own, not really knowing what was what to do or how to do it. Uh, gets a little help from the police chief, who uh, is I don't know how much help he really is, but he's a character, yeah. a colorful character. Well, and he he had his spy, but we won't yeah. talk about that. We'll, we'll so talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that. But. So did you do kind of an overall outline, or did writing one segment lead to, well, I think I'll change this and write this? How did, how did that process work for you? Well, uh, as I told my wife when she asked me kind of the same question, uh, I, they led me around by the nose. The characters led me around and said, now, you know, as I told you, you've got to be a little bit schizophrenic to, to write other people's words for them. And I found that uh, Janetta, who who was a main character and a woman, uh, you know, what did I know about that? But in the end, once I got into what she was trying to do, what kind of person she was, she was telling me what to do, and I was writing what I what I thought she wanted me to say. Uh, that sounds a little strange, but what that meant was uh, all my planning went out the window. Right. Yeah. Uh, and well, I, 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 and I like it. I was a technical writer, so you know, planning and organization was. What I did, uh, and then that was not that character at all. It not didn't work at all. So well, I, and I and I do like because you told most of the book was told from the perspective of the deputy sheriff, right? And then in one chapter you switched to Junetta's character, right. and she told the story because that's when most of the action was happening around her. Exactly. And I was like, now wait a minute, we've just changed who's telling the story, yeah. and you know that that caught my eye because usually in a lot of books there's like a third person that fills the narrator and you don't really know him or he's kind of just right. a bystander. Yeah, but that was interesting 
when you switch characters and the detail with which you you did that was just fascinating to me. Well, I didn't know if it would work to be to be perfectly honest. I was really afraid it would not. I thought, how can I switch voices and become a woman in the first place, which I'm not, and tell a story that a woman would tell, which may not work out very well. And that really worried me quite a bit. But once I got into it, what I realized is Janetta had a whole different story. She saw it from a whole different angle. And that was the part I enjoyed about writing it is now you get now you get her point. Right. And and when you talk about a whodunit, mm. uh, which is a different style of writing. I mean, I love Agatha Christie and she's the master of it. Right. Yeah. But uh, do you go back and and work backwards in your thought process and then write forwards? I, I tried that also and it also <laughs> failed miserably. <laughs> I did all the right things, but they none of them worked. Uh, so. What I ended up doing, and, and my wife scoffs at this because she thinks it's just dumb as it can be, uh, I actually wrote this book at least three times from start okay. to finish. Right. I wrote it once with a, a lot of uh, uh, things that I wanted to put in there, pet uh, ideas about people, things that people had said to me, characters I wanted to flesh out. So I wrote a whole series, you know, the whole book about that. Then I realized I had no plot. So, because right. <laughs> I had destroyed it, so I went. I went back and wrote a plot, which is all these red herrings and all these mystery parts of it. And now they've got bootleggers involved and and gangsters, and uh, so I had to go back and write it again. Well, and then of course the third time was to get it right. Right, right. And you ever feel self conscious, like no one's going to like this? Oh, like, during the during the writing of uh, about half the time at least. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but when you start writing something and you know that you're going to publish it in where everybody can read, yeah. then you get super paranoid and say, "I'm not worthy. No, I, I can't. I yeah, can't do this." Every writer's neurotic. There's just no way around. That's what it is. But uh, when we come back on the other side of this break, we're going to continue this discussion. We've got a great person here, Kyle Johnson. Fire Damp is the name of the book. We're giving some free books away so join us on the other side of this break everybody knew you didn't give no limb to big john big john big john big bad john big john nobody seemed to know where john called home he just drifted into town and stayed all alone The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And we're back into the Housing Hour. This is Mark Griffith. I'm with Richard Swan on my right, and we're talking with Kyle Johnson, author of Fire Damp, historical fiction. We're giving some of these books away. They're ink signed by him in front of our eyes, so we know that they're going to be collector's items soon. And also, Richard pointed out that uh, Kyle has has disclosed his schizophrenia in segment one and his neuroticism uh in segment two so, so three could be really who knows crazy. what three is going to bring but <laughs> it's like x each segment brings another psychological issue oh, I, right. need, I need therapy that's why okay that's, that's why you're here well you so and well that brings up a good question was the book therapeutic oh, good uh. in dealing with like uh, Something that you had held that loss of your grandfather, not knowing your grandfather, was it a type of therapy? Yeah, actually, it was. Uh, I, I, I don't delve into it too much, uh, even you know when I'm alone thinking about it. But I did realize that it was cathartic to tell his story for him to the, to some extent, at least to tell what happened uh, as far as his death and uh, and the actual uh, fire damp. 
that killed him. Uh, and it wasn't such a big deal because it's happened to you know hundreds of others over over time uh, who worked in the coal mines and so forth. So it wasn't unique, but he was unique to me, and I had never gotten that out on paper. So yeah, that was that was therapeutic for me. But that may be one of the reasons I strayed away from just that story because that you know what happened happened. Uh, what can I say about it now? But I can tell the whole story around it. Yeah. You know? I often found that, uh, you know, bringing that history back to, to you know, present day, mm-hmm. it, it kind of just brings an emphasis to those people and, and what they've done. I, I think that's an important piece to what you did. Well, I wanted to give, uh, and literally you've touched upon one of the reasons I wrote this, and, I, and that's because I wanted to show uh, that these were stalwart people. These were hardworking people. These were uh, people who went to church and took care of their neighbors and, and uh, there was a lot to be said that was good about them. Right. And I wanted to say a lot of that. And I wanted to give a little respect to the people who uh, we call hillbillies uh, because uh, it, it tends to be a pejorative, uh, you know, in recent times. Little Abner and all that sort of thing made right. a joke of it for one thing. And it was, it, it was funny. But at the same time, these are real people doing real work, real families, um, and, and raising children and doing everything everybody else does. And, and they deserve respect for that. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And uh, in, your, in the front of the book, I was just pulling up and I was looking at published by mm. and it says Secret City USA. Mm. And I know you're from Oak Ridge. That right. must be the that's that's Oak Ridge. Uh, yeah. Publishing a book uh, gets a little uh, tricky because if you don't have an actual publisher uh, right. <laughs> and you're publishing it yourself, then how do you designate where it's from and that sort of thing? So this was just a nod to the fact that uh, that I grew up in Oak Ridge. I worked in Oak Ridge. Uh, I, I started my writing in Oak Ridge uh, uh, and, uh, with the Tennessee Mountain Riders. And so uh, I wanted to give a nod to, to the fact that there's a rich texture there of writing and writers in Oak Ridge. And we're going to talk about that. But it, if you go to his website, um, Kyle's website, it's jkylejohnson, just your name, right. .net. Right. And you've got a whole website, and you have posted a lot of other writings that you have free, right. children's books right. or children's articles. I, how would you classify them? Well, stories. Yes, children's stories, but they're really uh, stories for grandparents to share with their grandchildren because they're going to have to explain some of these things. These they're all written in the '60s. Uh, they're all written uh, about true events uh, that happened to my wife or she was involved in as a child. And, Susie, uh, Susie, little Susie, and uh, we call her at home. She's going to kill me for this. We call her at home, little Susie cream cheese because she's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he Dale, he's going to pay for that. So now, now he's got suicidal tendencies yeah, yeah. too. <laughs> I, I'm going to need marriage counseling next. So, uh, I, I don't know if she swore that I shouldn't do that, or if she just said she would hurt me if I did. Anyway, so they're all about little Susie. They're, they all involve grandparents and parents, and uh, because it's things that happened long ago, they might have to explain a few things that that uh, are not understandable to today's kids. Right. And uh, but they're all about things that happen to kids universally right like like having a phone on the wall yeah exactly (laughs) yeah well you know uh one of the things i've I've published a lot on our website and our social media pages uh that i've written just for blogs and i've got a lot of people reading about the pull thing that i wrote and stuff i've never gotten an award 
Um, don't don't expect one. But uh, go to your page. You did. You've got several awards here. Tell me a little bit about those. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking about that. I, when I first started writing, you know, part of that what what we you and I discussed is when you're writing, you don't know if anybody else is going to like this or not. You right. think I like it pretty well, and you know, my wife likes it because it's about her. But <laughs> but, right. but I don't know if anybody else would like it. Uh, so that was one of the reasons I went to the Tennessee Mountain Riders, and one of the reasons I submitted uh, stories to them to see what they thought about it. So really the feedback there of getting an award just says, keep going, you're doing okay. And that was really what I was looking for. Uh, not so much, you know, you need to change this or that. I got some of that criticism, which was excellent. So especially as a new writer, you know, you think you know how after uh, 40 years of writing that you can, <laughs> you can just do this. But all of my writing was technical writing. Right. Uh, so up until then, I hadn't really pinned anything that was uh, creative at all. So th- that was uh, that was a watershed moment for me to get a, any kind of award, no matter no matter what you call it, uh, for anything I had written. And so, when you say self, you're self published. Is self-published. that how you? Yeah. So uh, you would suggest other people that are interested in writing their story, their book, their their ideas, and and do the same thing. I have to because uh, you know I went through. Uh, uh, I contacted 50 publishers and, and about the same number of agents, and they weren't interested because I didn't have a natural market. I didn't have, you know, I couldn't guarantee 300,000 sales volume or anything of that nature. And I, I didn't just dig that out of the air. That was an actual number that an agent sent back to me. She said, go ahead and publish it. When you sell 300,000, call me again. And I thought, I won't need you by then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's, you know, I shouldn't be that way because they know their business and they know what they have to do. But if you've got a story to tell and you really want to get it out there, it's really made pretty easy these days yeah. to self-publish. You can do it through a, a variety of outlets. Uh, Kindle Direct Publishing is the one I happened to use because that was easiest for me to handle. That's Amazon. That's an Amazon right. uh, product. But there are many others. Uh, for example, this book is available as an ebook uh, through Barnes and Noble, and so I also, through another uh, avenue, was able to put it on to Barnes and Noble uh, and Apple Books and many others. That's that's fascinating. Have you ever and, written anything, Richard? Uh, no, my mother actually was a published author. She had really one book that. published. She wrote probably about twenty, um, and Zondervan was the one that finally wrote or accepted one of her books and. It got published and then got picked up by some German publisher that thought it made a good story in German. Um, but uh, I won't be able yeah. to read it in German, but I'd love to read it. I, I had no idea. Yeah, and 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 she wrote for years and wrote a lot of short stories. She was uh, a member of the American Pen Women uh, wow. here locally. That chapter and and so it was something that she was always at her desk writing yeah. and love, uh, and just loved doing that. I and love you short could stories. not. Most of her manuscripts were in handwritten. Her writing was not, it was loopy. It was just yeah. cursive to the max with never had the detail of real cursive writing, but it was a lot of loops. So I had a real hard time reading her manuscripts. Yeah. I got a lot of respect for people who handwrite books because I can't imagine it now. You mm. know, I can go back and move whole pages, whole paragraph sections. Yeah. Uh, no problem. The editing's real easy. It's pretty easy. And, uh, you know, it was a real headache back in when I was doing a thesis uh, and I was doing it on a typewriter. You know, I can't imagine doing it by hand. I had all these notes and everything. And I encourage people that want to write something to do self-publish or for just friends or whoever. Yeah. Also, find somebody that you 
can get trusted feedback yeah. from and let them read it. Because a good friend of mine uh, read this. I actually, Kevin, Kevin helped me yeah. on this yeah. immensely. He's a host of our show. Uh, but uh, I had another person outside of that, and she said, there's a there's a problem here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I just I typed mistyped something, and it put the timeline totally off. Right, and I just good grief. I mean, I was like a day of putting this thing out there, yeah. and uh, and then another person found another error. So you're just you know, and the author becomes blind to it. We, we know what's in our head that we want it on the paper, and when we read it, we think that's what's on the paper. I don't care what you heard. Yeah. I know what I said. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the, and and. I was so fascinated with a lot of the details, a lot of your description when you changed into a woman uh, and and told it. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's the third thing we're going to add to the list. But when you told it from the woman's perspective and she had a tear in her her stocking, the toe of her stocking, because she had had to walk barefooted and then she actually pulled it a little down and folded it under and then put it in her shoe that way. And I'm like, well, where do you come up with that type of detail? I mean, that, and that was just not from wearing stockings. I I understand. Yeah. We'll, we'll make, that'll be another disclaimer when we do the show. I do do not own a high heels pair of shoes. Okay. I want to be clear. Well, going along with that, uh, I I love this because I sectioned this out and I want to read it. And just a little quick one. He said, love us sucked air through the, through the gap in his teeth, like wind up a holler. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean, things like that kind of crack me up when I read yeah. read things. I appreciate you giving thought to some of those yeah. things when you write them down. Yeah, yeah. it's difficult. Uh, it, it is uh, takes a while. It takes a while. We're going to talk. We got a, one more segment coming up. And we're going to discuss. We're, we're going to push him about writing his next book. because yeah, I want to know one. more about these Good people. Point. Good point. <laughs> this is the Housing Hour. Visit housinghour.com. We'll be back after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And we're back into the Housing Hour. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solutions for the past 29 years. And I've been with Mortgage Investors Group 25 years. Oh, I was going to say it was about 70, but I no, guess, yeah, you could 70. only be there as long as they've been around. Yes, yeah, I, I can't, and not a day longer. But uh, <laughs> this, so it's been a fantastic ride with Mortgage Investors Group. We really appreciate them allowing us to do the show because we can bring great content like this. I'm Mark Griffith with Richard Swan in our studios. We're talking about a book called Fire Damp by J. Kyle Johnson. We call him Kyle, but he is from really technically Oak Ridge. That's where he's born and raised. Right. And uh, he, if you go to his website, jkylejohnson.net, he's written stories online that are free. You just pop up and read it. He's written about his life at in uh, Oak Ridge. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, and I love that period of time. Yeah, that was a great time to grow up there in the 60s. And uh, all I really do is tell uh, the things I remember from those days and the kids and what we did and where we went and and you live like right across from Jackson Square up exactly. there near the football field. Is that uh, pretty much close? Where are you? I literally lived on East Tennessee Avenue, which was a, on the yeah. same road. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So were you in an E building or something? Yeah, we call exactly. It? Yeah, it was one of those apartment houses that has two in the middle and two on, two the, on the end. Side. Yeah, yeah. The smaller ones on the end. Smaller ones on the end. And yeah. It was great because there were always people around to talk to. Uh, there was a dormitory next door. 
uh, and I think it was all women at, at that time. And I was just a little kid, and I would climb up on the, uh, on the steam, uh, <laughs> steam lines, and you could peek in the windows. Now, it sounds like I was a weird little kid. <laughs> Here's the next segment. <laughs> we have hit one every segment, haven't we? Uh, but the truth is, I was so young that I really was just fascinated talking to the women who were from all over the world there. And they were very friendly, and they would see me and wave and so You're forth. You were just a little kid. Just a little kid. I was probably, uh, what, uh, seven, let's say, six oh. or seven, uh, just tall enough to see, you know, to talk to them oh over, that, over that threshold. And there was, uh, I still remember one lady, young lady from, uh, from Rome, Italy, and she gave me a postcard, and I, I've lost it, and it just kills me that I have because she said, come see me in Roma. Uh, someday and gave me an address there, you know, thinking, <laughs> right. I don't know what she was thinking for a seven-year-old. But and now that you have time to actually go visit, I you could. Find the, I can't find the postcard yeah, anymore. But but literally, I held on to that for years and years just because of the romance of it, you know, the, the idea that uh, maybe I could go there someday and see her. Because that was right center, right there at Jackson right Square. Center. You're right near the tennis courts then. Exactly. How exactly. close were you to those tennis courts? Well, center? I'd probably have to walk a couple of blocks. But, you know, the library, the tennis courts, uh, Jackson Square shopping, all that was all right there. And so my yeah. office is, is in Oak Ridge. And, right. I, of course, I, I, all my research and stuff has really been kind of concentrated right there in Oak Ridge. Right. Because it is a secret city. And the Secret City Festival is coming up in June, so um, everybody remember that. Plug it in, check it out on their website because it's a lot of fun. But uh, those were good times growing up. It's yeah. a it's a very unique city because you have such you have a person from Rome. Right. I mean, you have such a dynamic group right. coming together. Exactly. Yeah, people from everywhere, people with all sorts of jobs and all sorts of interests and. Uh, you know, I didn't know until I moved out of Oak Ridge that it's not that way everywhere in, in the country. You know, right. I thought, well, every city's like this, but I found out in quick order uh, there were not these same opportunities everywhere. There were not the same kinds of people everywhere. And, and you know, I was from uh, a next-door neighbor when I was just little, uh, and that's not a big deal because you can learn chess anywhere. But how many ki- how many kids that are, you know, five, six, seven years old would go to a next-door neighbor and play chess for an hour? You know? Right. <laughs> How many kids in East Tennessee learn to play chess? Yeah. I mean, that's probably a much smaller number, but uh, but you but but Oak Ridge is so different, um, and I'm sure that you probably have done loans in Oak Ridge, Richard. I have your your, your years, but they used to uh, letter the houses: A house, B house, right. C house, yeah. D house, E, right. F's, yeah. and um, you know. So they this was all wartime type of construction material right. that was supposed to be temporary. Right. So it was a long time before I I didn't know that everybody in the country lived in D houses or E houses or yeah. <laughs> yeah. the yeah. alphabet. In the alphabet it never occurred to me uh, until I got out of Oak Ridge, you know, and went to college. So that was a that was a real awakening. But the other awakening was how how lucky we were to grow up in that rarefied kind of society. It is a very unique society. I, I married an Oak Ridge girl. I, so I, I tell everybody, I did my part. I got her out of Oak Ridge. But she, she loves Oak Ridge. I love Oak Ridge. Um, it's just a different, unique community. It's so compact and uh, full of, chock full of history, although there's history before Oak Ridge. Right. And, and yeah. good history. Yeah. Good history. Yeah. Just like your story. Yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you go online to housinghour.com, to ebooks up there, I wrote about a murder that occurred back in the 1920s that started in Knoxville and went through Oak Ridge, and the murder actually occurred in pre-Oak Ridge days. Right. So it's right there, but it, it kind of unlocks some of the history there, and we actually discovered some things doing that. Uh, we discovered different names of, of, of roads, and people were able to connect warranty deeds to that and discovered things that 
had been overlooked. Wow. So little things, yeah. trinkets. Yeah. It, it's fascinating. I read it, and, and I had no idea. I thought I knew everything about the history of this area, and, uh, you know, especially back to, say, 1920. And then I find out there's this horrendous murder that occurred and bank robbery and yeah. this whole big story that was went nationwide. So it's, yeah, a, good, nationwide. it's a good one to read. But, you know, what happened with Oak Ridge is just, uh, you know, the history kind of got absorbed because the government came in and took Robertsville and, and, and Wheat communities and, and Scarborough communities. All the communities got absorbed and relocated. Yeah, they literally buried the history. When, they when buried it. Yeah. It just got transplanted. But, well, um, yeah. But back, to, back to the book. <laughs> back to now. You've created a lot of unique characters. The sheriff ID, mm-hmm. um, which gets hurt, you know, early on in the book, and then we really don't hear anything from his perspective, anything really more about him other than he kind of taught Sam, and Sam throughout the whole thing's trying to think of what ID would do. So I think that's a character we could create. You know, a whole character or a whole book around but, him. But Kyle said something about ID. He said, you threw us a red herring. Yeah. Is that is that the red herring, him being shot? Was that a red herring? Because I saw that as a connection. It was a plot mechanism, you know, and I wanted two things. I wanted for Sam, a young deputy sheriff, to still have a mentor that he trusted and could go to and talk to a little bit. But but uh, mostly he was a plot mechanism. I had to get him out of the way so that Sam had to be the one to, to investigate the bootleggers and the killing at the mine and all those sorts of things. Right. So I don't know what I'm going to do with ID. My guess is uh, I shouldn't give away too much. But, yeah, I, I understand. But, but, but uh, my guess is ID is going to retire. <laughs> He's been shot in the head. Come on. Well, and then you've also got the police chief and his yeah. daughter who runs the switchboard yeah, and kind of is the yeah. the town gossip, for lack of a of a better yeah. thing. But Strangely, Verda is one of my favorite characters. She she just drives me nuts. She's just <laughs> you know, she's all up in everybody's business. Come on. <laughs> and and you've got one of those in just about every small town, every department of you know a company, that kind of thing. So you know those are important too. But it was just I love the character development and. And just felt a connection and wanted to learn so much more about them and hear more about their story. And Sam uh, Garrett, who is the, the deputy, right? That's his yeah, name. he's our hero. Right? He's our hero. And his brother is named, tell well, me his full name, Tick. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Billy Wade is his actual name. So why do they have different last names? Uh, well, it, he, Billy Wade uh, Garrett is his name. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. I he just has part. one of those good old double country Yeah, names. double names. Yeah, okay. you got to have a double name. Yeah, sometimes you just got to have it. You know, uh, Sam's name is, is Samuel Lee, so he's he's got a double name too. But, gotcha. you know, Billy Wade, they're going to call him Billy Wade, except he got this nickname of Tick. Tick. And uh, that that was serendipitous. I, I don't know anybody named Tick. I never knew anybody called Tick, but it just occurred to me, here's this, <laughs> here's this brother and I want to show how closely connected they were at one time and then how they sort of split apart. You know, one becomes the, the, the good son and the other becomes the bad son. Kind of the antagonist it, almost. And he makes a great antagonist. So right. That's, that's why I held on to him. And uh, Tick made me laugh, so I thought, okay, that's it. And, and really, at the end of this, the Tick is still the antagonist, and you don't know what he's up to. we got two minutes. No, no spoiler alerts now. No, no. spoilers. But I'm working on it. And, okay. And, well, and, uh, and I'm ready to read the second book. So see, uh, I now got to go back and read some of your short stories, too. But this story just really enthralled me. And uh, we'll post links to the website that show how you can order the book, how you can uh, uh, try to get one of the ones we're giving away. And uh, Yeah, absolutely, because uh, it's a fun read. 
This is one that you can hand it out and let somebody, and it's not something that you have to dedicate a week to. Good, good. I mean, you can just, once you jump into it, it's pretty quick. Right. Well, it's very gratifying to hear, and it's exactly what I had hoped to hear. So uh, for a new writer, couldn't be better. And Take take it with you on vacation, a weekend in the mountains, and you'll be ready. We're going to force him to write a sequel to it so we can figure (laughs) out some of these characters. I have to stay here until it's done. (laughs) That's right. You know, you always always get to work to what next week's show is going to be. So, you know, you've got to, We're going to find out about the keep guests coming back. All right. I'll Those hose and stockings that you used to wear. No, no, no you to, didn't wear. Yeah, I got to put all that away. <laughs> Get rid of that stuff. Yeah. So uh, anyway, if, if everybody's listening to me, go to the, the housing dot com and you're, I'm going to have all of this up. You're going to see links to jkylejohnson.net you're going to be able to click and go and read all of his stories short stories whatever um we're going to have his book up online so where you can click on that and go to amazon you can buy it as a kindle or you can buy it as a book and we're going to be giving free books away it's information is going to be on the housinghour.com everybody check us out next time on the housing hour in a cabin on a hill your holler We were poor but we had love That's the one thing that daddy made sure of That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also check us out at thehousinghour.com This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.